Welcome to another episode of the Como Politicast. I'm Jeff Pogela. A couple of things to talk to you about today. First, there's new stuff on that poverty defense the Seattle City Council is thinking about. And then Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin says she's not running for a second term. She's calling it quits. So who might be stepping into the seventh floor office of Seattle City Hall? To talk all about this and more, joining us as almost always is uh, Como's Matt Markovich. Mm-hmm. And uh, first off, since we're heading to the holidays, any big plans for uh, the holidays? <laughs> Stay put, yeah, because <laughs> the governor told me to. Yeah, yeah, well, well uh, I, there's a lot of people that are not so compliant <laughs> right. with, with those orders, and we've talked about that many, many times. Um, uh, but your latest story uh, on on this poverty defense, we talked mm-hmm. about this on, on the Politicast a, a few months ago. Seattle City Council wants to say, uh, and, and this is very uh, a broad brush I- I explaining it, is they want there to be a criminal defense if someone commits a crime, particularly a, a property crime, theft or something like that, if they're doing so because they're in poverty. That's right. So uh, let's revisit that. What exactly are they looking to do, and then what's new? Well, you probably want to ask, why is the Seattle City Council talking about a legal defense strategy? Because the idea is to actually put this in the city code, that the city attorney and all the people, the judges, can use this as a legal defense when they're hearing certain cases. Up to 100 misdemeanor cases this would affect, possibly in the Seattle Municipal Court. So basically what it is is... Well, before we go any further, this is only misdemeanor stuff. That's right. Because felony stuff isn't prosecuted by the city. It goes to the county. That's right. So we're talking uh, trespassing, shoplifting, minor theft... And misdemeanors are basically everything except, you know, the high-end misdemeanors are domestic violence, uh, DUIs, and stuff like that. So everything kind of below that. A lot of property crimes. So that's what we're talking about here. And the premise being that it's okay to steal or trespass or maybe, and this is a remote chance and it's a possibility, commit an assault to take someone's money because... To, you need to satisfy a basic need, and that's the quotation there, a basic need. And so Councilmember Lisa Herbal is floating this idea to her colleagues. It's not written in any kind of ordinance just yet about having this poverty defense be part of the Seattle City Code that the judges can consider when they're rendering their verdicts. So think of it this way. If you pitch a tent on private property, your house or a business, that's trespassing if you didn't have permission. Um, if you shoplift, you went into the 7-Eleven and stole a couple items for food. That's that's a shoplifting. That's a misdemeanor. If you went to the Home Depot and stole a bunch of power tools, that's theft. But what's new about this, what they're talking about this time today, was the resale. It's maybe okay to go out and resell what you stole in order to meet that basic need, like paying rent. So trafficking in stolen property is just fine in the city of Seattle. The actual example they use is that if you went out and stole a couple cell phones and sold them on the Internet to pay for rent, that could be covered in this defense uh, because you're trying to satisfy a basic need. So who's going to decide what a basic need is? Well, the premise, again, of of this whole poverty defense is uh, is that a jury will decide. They will look at individual cases, hear the person's reasons why they had to steal all the cell phones, and then, you know, they did it to pay rent. It'll be up to a jury to decide if that's okay, that 
you know, this person has no money. They needed to do that out of necessity, and that's why they but did it. But don't juries do that anyway? They take into account mitigating circumstances. I mean, you see that argued all the time in court. Well, you you can, and but th- by putting it, as my understanding is, into the city code, that this is a, an allowable defense, you're basically giving this, what the argument critics say, the city attorney legal recourse to not ever charge that person, dismiss the case because knowing, hey, the public defender is going to bring this uh, poverty defense up in in court. Now it's part of the city code. The judge can consider it. I'm not even going to uh, charge the case. I'm going to dismiss it because I'm going to lose because this is part of the defense. It's a strategy. But the the supporters of it says, you know, it's not a slam dunk mm-hmm. that all of a sudden someone's going to walk free on this. The judge still has to decide. A jury still has to decide the case. But critics say it may never get that far because this this is going to be part of the city code. But clearly that's the idea behind the the legislation. I mean, this is Lisa Herbold, isn't it? That's, that's right. And she's the head of the Public Safety Committee, so this kind of falls in her bailiwick. But, but clearly that's the thought process behind it. We want to forgive people that are committing these crimes because of their circumstances. That's right. But there's no cap. You know, it's not like, okay, we'll consider crimes that are no more than or less than $100 or something like that. There is no cap. The jury would decide what a, a, a theft limit it would be and what a basic need for that person is. For you and me, I mean, I'm not even, I shouldn't even say that. For a, 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 a person, a basic need is having lunch, okay? Mm-hmm. For a lot of these people, a basic need may be a car to drive to their job so they can earn a living because they're barely making it. You know, so so if they stole a car, are they satisfying a basic need? I mean, you could go endless, go off into the etherland on coming up with examples of this, but you know, there's also a lot of other con- options are considering. That's just one of them. Is this resale part where it's okay to resell what you stole in order to base, meet a basic which, need? Which that just befuddles me because that adds. You you, you have the in- initial crime which is theft or burglary or whatever it happens to be, a misdemeanor, obviously, since this is just the city of Seattle. But then you have the additional crime of trafficking in stolen property by selling whatever you stole. So there are two offenses that Lisa Herbold here and then I guess some on the rest of the city council are considering. We don't even want to think about that. You know, if, if this person's impoverished, they're allowed to do that. Yeah. And well, that's that. That's what we're talking about here. You know, is there been a, any pushback, or is this something yeah, that's there is a, There was pushback by Council Member Alex Peterson, who raised a lot of questions, saying and this he's is really the only conservative, if you can call him that. Yeah, I wouldn't even call council. <laughs> he's a conservative in Seattle's eyes, you know, but in the in the bigger picture, he's not. Um, yeah, yeah, he brought up objections, saying this could lead to more vandalism, trespassing, you know, um, a, a myriad of other. Cr- okay green lights for crimes um and so he brought that up and said hold your horses maybe we shouldn't talk about um what goes into this law or ordinance we should just start talking about whether we want something like this not so much the details how about just the idea of it he's saying take a few steps back so that's what he talked about there's one other thing that was part of a, a new option in this and they call it knowing of an alternative so you steal some food from a grocery store, not knowing that around the corner was a food bank. Well, you could use that as an, a, an 
a defense on why you stole from the Safeway because you didn't know that the food bank was around the corner where there was an alternative where you could get mm-hmm. food. So that is also an option that could be considered in this thing. But so. how, how many of these cases actually go to a jury? Felonies are negotiated down all the time and they don't go to trial. I would think misdemeanors, nearly all of them are negotiated down and settled or what yeah. have you, and they don't go to a jury trial. So well, how that, much, that, is this really going to affect anything? Well, the, and that's what the critics are saying along that line, is that uh, there are always negotiations going on already. Uh, in the meeting today, they brought up the letter signed by Pete Holmes that was dated October 30th, where, where he basically said, we're already doing this. The city attorneys in my office are dismissing cases because of uh, survival. He called it uh, survivability necessary, a necessity, a survival, survivability necessary, something along those lines. I don't have it exactly in front of me. Um, so they're already doing that. And he's making his office saying that. So what this is basically is it's codifying it. It's putting it into it's words. It's virtue signaling, it, essentially. Because it, it, it's not the way you describe it. It's in, in the way you're, you're describing how we're paraphrasing Pete Holmes. Yeah. They're already doing this. So this isn't going to have a whole lot of an effect. So it's why do it? I mean, it's virtue signaling from Lisa Herbold saying this is where I stand on this issue. This is sort of. Well, it's not so much her, it's the director of public defense, Anita Condwell in King County, who's a total proponent of all this, who said that there should be any restrictions on this, um, financial restrictions. Let the jury decide entirely on these cases on what a person's basic need is, why they were justified in, in, in stealing something. But the argument, again, is that this will never get as far as a jury, because if you put this into the city code... They are, the judges know it's coming. The city attorney knows it's coming. It's a it's a, a, a play that the defense attorney can use that's not there right now. That's in the city code. Uh, not a strategy. It's there. Uh, and then they will never go to a jury because they'll settle it beforehand. Well, and even if it goes to a jury, you have that old axiom that, you know, the story about the guy that breaks into a pharmacy to get medicine for his wife. A window is broken. A life is saved. So juries tend to be forgiving in these situations, I would think. And Pete Holmes in his letter talked about that juries in Seattle are very forgiving for reasons of poverty for committing a crime. They don't they don't have a stomach for it. So the it's a threshold level. Like, that's why I found that this reselling aspect was interesting. Well, how much can you resell to claim I'm satisfying a basic need? So you call it trafficking. So it's just already stealing stuff and then reselling it to make the money. Well, and then you mentioned cell phones is is the example everyone was using. That sets up a whole other can of worms because cell phones have personal information, data that is locked. I mean, now you've got people that could be liable. You don't know. I don't know. Again, I'm not a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Uh, The city might be liable for any lawsuits that that come by, you know, saying, okay, yeah, you can go ahead and steal cell phones and then resell them if you need to meet a basic need. But then that could, down the line, compromise someone's personal information. Yep. It can. I, I that was just one example they're using. The thing is the way the way it's currently structured, and again, there's no draft ordinance to actually say, okay, this is what it says. This is just floating the idea. But of all the if we look at all these ideas, there are no limits right now. It's wide open and there's no um you know, there's no accountability, people are saying, because it provides basically carte blanche for committing a hundred 
some odd misdemeanors in the name of I had to do it because I needed to meet a basic need. So how soon, if this is going to pass, how soon would it pass? Well, they are going to bring it back up in January, just to, on the discussion level. So we are far from so it. So the bill hasn't even been introduced yet. No, no, no. And that's why it's, but it's still very controversial, even at this stage, that a city is actually considering this. And, you know, city, Seattle is a very progressive city, so they like to be known as a very progressive city. Again, virtue signaling. Yeah. Uh, and that's why they're going to, so they're going to take it back up in January, and then we'll see how it goes from there. All right. We'll talk to you about that in January. But the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, too, and this also has to do with City Hall, Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin decided not to run for re-election. She had a, a very tough uh, first three years of her term, you had uh, COVID, you had the fight over the head tax, you had the bridge, the bridge issue, the West Seattle Bridge, you had you know, budgetary issues, and, and I don't, countless rounds of fights over countless issues with Seattle City Hall or with the Seattle City Council. She's stepping back, saying she's going to focus all her effort on rebuilding the city coming out of this economic crisis in the next year. But that leaves open a, a huge hole, a huge power vacuum at, at Seattle City Hall. At, 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 a at, lot of what ifs and a lot of speculation, <laughs> exactly. right? <laughs> the, the three people, and, and, and let's go through a few of these. The three people that come to mind, and, and we'll just start with, with the first one on this. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to bet Lorena Gonzalez is going to run for it. What do you think? I think it's a good bet. And I think that, and again, I'm just purely speculation, but just reading the tea leaves and how things fell out as my point of view you know it goes all the way back to the governor Inslee mm-hmm. deciding to run for re-election he abandoned his bid for presidency and so as he ran result, Bob Ferguson didn't run for that's right for, Hillary Franz didn't run for governor and and, and Lorena Gonzalez speculation she'd run for attorney general well, she did she announced yeah, she, and then backed out yeah that's right very short so that was out there well if you look at it now the her term is up next year the same time that you hire, you know, elect a mayor. So she can give up her seat if she really believes that she'll win. And then if she gets becomes mayor and then, give you know, the whole national, the state side starts falling, the dominoes fall again. She's in a much better position as mayor to run for a state office than she is as a city council member running for state office. But, and, and, and let me let me ask you about this. That's though. all sp- Matt Markovich yeah, speculation. Oh, absolutely. Okay. And then we're going to have some more Matt Markovich speculation. <laughs> candidates. But, but let, let me ask you this, because I talked with our political analyst, Ron Dotsauer, just the other day. When was the last time you saw a mayor of Seattle go on to higher office? He couldn't think of one in the last 40 years. His description, this is Ron Dotsauer, our political analyst here at Como News, saying it's a dead-end job politically. I think that there's some truth to that, because if you just look at the uh, past history as a prediction of future results, that old phrase, (laughs) yeah, there hasn't been a Seattle mayor that went off and started running, uh, you know, for something else, a statewide office or even a national office. So it could be a dead-end job, but someone's going to break through, you know. She is a person of color, very smart woman, an attorney who represents a lot of civil rights, well, she's, of, she's an at-large member, too, right, and she so she's voted. already been voted on by the entire yeah, city Her and Teresa Mosqueda were at-large, and so, you know, three and a half years ago, they, they voted citywide to put them on the city council, whereas all the other council members are district hired, or district elected. So she has that going for her. Um, and 
I think she has the aspirations to do it in the way she's been, and she's currently the president of the city council, so she has a much higher role in in very visible role right now, being the president of the city council. So it bodes well in her favor. Um, but next year is another year. She's not going to be president of the city council. They elect a new president every year. So, uh, and they, but they could reelect her as well. So, uh, well, knows? and you, you mentioned the other person on the council that I was thinking of, Teresa Mosqueda. She's another one that I think has higher aspirations, wants to get to a higher office. You think she runs? I I think it's a good she. I think it's a good chance, but I think. Uh, I don't think she'll run against Lorena Gonzalez. I think one of the two will run. Um, and they are kind of two peas in a pod, aren't they? They, they are, and, and they're in the in terms of the political spectrum. They're kind of in the same area, left of center, but not far left. You know, I would say Teresa Mosqueda is more far left than Lorena Gonzalez. Um, but not by much. We're talking shades of gray here. Well, uh, the other thing to think about, too, Teresa Mosqueda and Lorena Gonzalez... They're still in their first political jobs. But Teresa Mosqueda is making, you know, she introduced Governor Inslee when he ran for governor again. And mm-hmm. she, um, I, I, escapes me, she also did another kind of a high profile introduction. And uh, I can't remember what it was, but uh, it, she did with Inslee. So in terms of the Democratic establishment, they kind of gave a little nod to her by mm-hmm. letting her do that. And she's very pro-labor. She reflects a lot of, uh, of what Seattle is all about. Mm-hmm. Same with Lorraine Gonzalez. You know, um, but I've heard no aspirations beyond city politics for Teresa Mosqueda, whereas I have had that mm-hmm. heard that from uh, Lorraine Gonzalez. Two other people I'm thinking of. And, and I think she's almost becoming a perennial candidate, Nikita Oliver. I think she runs again. You agree with that? I think so, but I don't think she. I don't. I don't see someone like Nikita Oliver having such widespread support in the city of Seattle. She may could re- run the third district, the Capitol Hill area, where a lot of her politics are in line with a lot of people who live up there. But I don't think on a citywide level she could win. I think uh, I think if you put in if that was a three horse race, I'd put my money on Lorena Gonzalez. And 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 I think too with when it comes to Nikita Oliver, she has her position now is this this outside activist and sort of gadfly to the Seattle City Council. She has a lot of influence on the policy directions that they take. A lot of behind the scenes influence, I would think. She runs for mayor. Now she's in that system of gridlock i i i don't think it i think it's almost a non-starter uh in my mind because there won't be that political support call which will mayor durkin was an industrial democrat she is a obama democrat we've had basically obama democrats and murray you know moderates in the in the position you can go back to paul shell uh greg nichols um i don't know if i'd call mike mcginn a moderate I would. You're right. Of all the ones, uh, I would say more and more left was Mike, but Ed Murray. You know, nobody lasted more than two terms, right? Yeah. You know, uh, was it Greg Nichols that had two terms? Uh, yeah, I can't I think so. yeah. Um, so you have, you have, you have a, what what I would call an Obama Democrat. If someone comes out in the woodwork here, that was more in line with what um, Durkin was about some business, some back labor, um, 
Well, she didn't. You got to get it's the labor vote. That's kind of the, the tricky one here. Um, that is the person who most likely would become the next mayor of Seattle. Do you have anyone in mind you think that might run? You know, I that don't. Fits that description? No, I, I really don't. Um, I mean, Gonzalez could maybe move her way into that. Um, but, but she's she's clearly staked out a far left position. Far left in terms of what I call an Obama Democrat. Yeah. Um, but it's not a swat left. You no. know, you're not all the way. F- and, and, uh, well, left is all a matter uh, of perspective Tammy, here uh, in yeah, Seattle. <laughs> Tammy Morales, uh, Shama Sawant left. Yeah. You know, she's not that far left. Yeah, I, I can't really think of anyone. And I put Nikita Oliver that far left. Yeah, too. I would agree yeah, with that, yeah. too. But I can't really think of anyone within the city apparatus or, or, or activist culture or within the community of Seattle. Certainly outside of Seattle, I can think of many, but within Seattle, I can't think of... The, those centrist Democrats are, are pretty much dead, I would think. Right now, yeah. And I mean, we have a, obviously we have a while for another name to pop up, but you have those three people you just talked about, namely two, two current council members, and I think they're going to have to make a decision... Um, I don't know, fairly soon. I don't think it's a, a running for city council is a year-long campaign. But at some point early in the first quarter, they're going to have to start thinking, do I want to run for mayor? And start grinding out their political apparatus to set that up. Because there's there's already a couple candidates who are doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not names that we recognize. Um, but you're going to have to get that going. And then would it... would the current mayor endorse any of them would they want that endorsement you know um and will will dow constantine endorse them will will you think dow runs not for seattle mayor no he's got he's got a a much bigger budget you know he's he's in control of king county even though seattle's focused and as being progressive and it's kind of like the star on the tree the tree is King County. <laughs> well, and you've seen so many more people from King County government go on to bigger jobs. I mean, yeah, uh, Rob McKenna, well, Gary Locke, uh, Gary you know, Locke, became the governor. Yeah, uh, he's a Bob county Ferguson. Ferguson. Yeah. Um, all of them came from King County government. Last, last one though, but that I want to ask you about before you go, and this is my sort of dark horse potential candidate for Seattle mayor in 2021, Pramila Jayapal. Hmm. She's young in congress mm-hmm. isn't doesn't have really hardly any seniority she's not the chair of any committee mm-hmm. and it's an off year for her so it's a, essentially a free shot because congress gets elected in in the even years we elect the mayors in seattle in the odd year um my first blush on that is no because almost going back to what we originally talked about it's a dead-end job you know seattle mayor once your congressman um a congressperson you know, you can stay there for 40 years mm-hmm. if you work it right. You know, Denny Heck was the odd one where he was gambling that, you know, and he's still gambling whether <laughs> Jay Inslee will take a job with the Biden administration uh, being lieutenant governor um, and giving up a congressman's job. Uh, I, I think uh, Jamal, uh, uh, Pramila, Jayapal. Pramila Jayapal, I can never pronounce her name, so that's my, <laughs> that's my fault. Pramila Jayapal, very smart become a very she's become a very savvy politician and it's becoming more high high profile in washington dc um i don't think she gives that up to be a mayor of seattle you don't think she would have i mean there's there's high profile is one thing but actual 
power and influence is is another. And you don't think she would want to run the city that she's no, from? You know, it's kind of like we 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 put a lot more weight into the job of the city of the mayor of Seattle. It's a major city of America and I think us media types because of what's happened in Seattle especially over the last year are putting too much into that job versus the power that she has the power that Al Constantine has is much greater than the city of Seattle I mean you're basically you're the mayor of 700,000 people you know there's uh, 1.4 million people in King County and then the congressional district is uh, for her. I'm not sure what the size is, but they're all even, right? We're all the same size. At least they're supposed to be. Yeah. So I think at that level, she can do a lot more, even though she has a bigger voting block. You know, she's not independent like a mayor of Seattle. Um, But I think I go back to what you originally said and what Ron Dotsauer says that nobody from uh, as a mayor of Seattle has moved on to bigger and better things in terms of political jobs. Uh, they basically find themselves like Greg Nichols has. He's honchoing the West Seattle Bridge task force, you know, <laughs> the community task force. <laughs> All right, Matt Markovich, always good to talk to you. You're welcome. And that will do it for this episode of the Como Politicast. If you like the show, please leave a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts. And for more, be sure to check out our other shows, such as Como News This Week, Lifebeat with Marina Rockinger, and our hourly news updates. All are available at comonews.com slash podcasts or your favorite podcast app. I'm Jeff Pogelip. Thank you for listening and have a good week.